This is the Anglican Perspective Podcast with Canons Phil Ashey and Mark Eldridge of the American Anglican Council. Join us for an in-depth look at building up and defending Great Commission Anglicanism throughout the world by developing faithful leaders, equipping local congregations, and always reforming the church. You can find out more about how we can help you and your churches thrive by visiting www.americananglican.org. Here now is Canon Phil and Canon Mark. Welcome to your Anglican Perspective. I'm Canon Phil Ashey from the American Anglican Council here with Allison Barfoot, a dear friend. Uh, the Reverend Canon Dr. Allison Barfoot has been the, uh, uh, well, Allison, what is your official title uh, in the Church of Uganda? Hi, Phil. Great to be with you on this podcast. Um, I am the Archbishop's Assistant for International Relations in the Church of Uganda. And so, Allison, I know you you and I were just chatting a minute ago that you've been there almost 20 years uh, yes. living in uh, in uh, Kampala. And um, we were so blessed, uh, Francis and I, when we came um, and you uh, hosted us and extended such wonderful hospitality to us when we met with Archbishop Stephen and the and the House of Bishops. It was just a wonderful time with you and and uh, reconnecting. And now uh, here we are at GAFCON, and it's been uh, just an amazing conference so far. And uh, we just heard the reading of the first draft of the statement. I guess um, um, we're, obviously we're not going to disclose any any contents of that um, because there needs to be more work on it. But tell me just your reactions to what you uh, what you just heard in that uh, in that draft statement. Uh, sure. So the draft statement, I think, from my perspective, is in pretty good condition. I I really don't see the need personally, for substantive changes to it. I was on the drafting committee, the statement committee, at uh, GAFCON in 2018, and there was substantial feedback we received on that statement, which I do think made it a better statement. I would be surprised if there is substantial feedback in the same way from this initial draft statement. there. So, I, I mean, I'm pleased with it. Um, and it, it has sort of everything in it that I would love to see in the statement. Wonderful. And do you think the process this time has, uh, how, how has this process at this GAFCON compared, you know, to the process that you were involved in and, in 2018, or that you observed in, in previous GAFCONs? So yesterday, we were all given the opportunity to take a, a survey. They sent out a survey monkey survey to all of the delegates, and we had a certain time period in which we could respond, and they had I think nine sections to it. I don't remember the sections now. And they had they they had uh, under each section 
statements and you were asked to tick whether which of those statements you could agree with. And you didn't have to choose. If you agreed with yeah. all of them, then you could tick all of them. And so they told us today that more than 600 people filled out the Survey Monkey survey um, of these statements. Yeah. And I, I assume there's some way they can collate and tabulate those things um, electronically to get a feel for the mind of, of the conference, even at this early stage. And from that, I think they're able, it really guided them to to put together a draft that doesn't, I don't think, this is me, I don't think it requires a, a lot of substantive changes to it. I think it's, it's yeah. consistent with everything GAFCON has said <clears throat> um, after Lambeth um, 2022, after the House, Church of England House of Bishops, in January, after Church of England's General Synod in February, it's consistent with everything GAFCON has said. It's consistent with everything the Global South has said after all of those those three major events of the last twelve months. And so, I I, I think that that there really is a sense of unity. There are a few times in the reading of the draft statement today when um, people broke out in applause. And yeah. so yeah. uh, it, it felt like it, it felt very positive. I think the room received the draft and there'll be some tweaking. Of course, there's always tweaking and it's good. Of course, it helps people feel involved and they are involved. So but I don't expect substantive changes from the draft. And I was pleased that it 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 represented a consistency and continuity with things that had already been said and recommended some decisive actions that will move to the resetting of of global anglicanism yeah 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 i couldn't agree with you more it it was a great i mean just from what uh what i what i received uh and and heard it is a great statement now truth be told the church of uganda has been just outstanding in its um taking communion and faithfulness so seriously that it it broke communion with the episcopal church is prepared if it hasn't already broken communion with the church of england and of course, people said at the time, oh my gosh, you know, Church of Uganda will will uh, be deep-sixed by lack of financial resources from the Episcopal Church or from Canterbury. Tell me, Allison, um, how has the Church of Uganda fared in, uh, in, br in breaking communion uh, with, uh, with churches in the Anglican communion that formerly supported it? Uh, financially? Well, we haven't quantified that. Um, so I'm just speaking anecdotally. I moved to Uganda in July of 2004. And so that was just after the 2003 election and consecration of Gene Robinson in the Episcopal Church. 
And so I did live through some of those early days with the the Church of Uganda and turning down funding. Honestly, most of the funding from the big, the big funding from the Episcopal Church came through Trinity Wall Street. And so they 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 funded uh theological education by extension. I think that was the biggest casualty from yeah. um fr- from that decision. And it it we have struggled, I will say, to try to fill in that gap in terms of 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 edu- theological education that is accessible and affordable. So right. that's an ongoing work in progress. What, a, a couple of interesting stories was right uh, around the, that time in those early days, there were two dioceses that had applied before the decision was made for a grant from Trinity Wall Street. And ah. um, when we got to know about it, uh, the archbishop at the time, Henry Orombi, called those bishops and they had a conversation. And the decision was both of those dioceses returned that money to Trinity wow. Wall Street. They returned the funding. And wow. so um, now most of our bishops, I think, are are very aware and they want to know who are these people um, not because money is tainted, but because people follow money. And yes. so, um, and right, rightly so. But it means that people are going to come, they do trainings, they do follow-ups, they do workshops, they do seminars, and their perspective comes out in all of that. And right. um, so, uh, honestly, we just don't have time for that. So, um, yeah. You know, um, some dioceses only had partnerships with local Episcopal congregations that got caught up in the wave of, re- of revisionism in the Episcopal Church. And so they found themselves without any friends, so to speak, and trying to make new friends has, has been challenging, but they're doing it. And the other thing it has yeah. done. In a, in a very positive way, is it has really forced us to reckon with our need and challenge to become self-sustainable as a church. And that's a yeah. long-term process. But um, the arch, this archbishop, Stephen Kazimba, has made it a, a priority uh, to talk about, and dioceses are reckoning with it and making progress on it. That's wonderful. And, and for our listeners, uh, one of the things that, that um, you need to know is that the Church of Uganda, when we were all, all leaving the Episcopal Church, myself included, way back in 2005, was the Church of Uganda that reached out to us, among others, who provided lifeboats for us uh, uh, ecclesiastical refugees to find a place to land. And those those relationships fostered in so many ways uh, the DNA that we find in the Anglican Church in North America today. So we are everlastingly grateful to Uganda and Nigeria and others for taking us in and uh, and sharing with us their heart for the gospel. 
So, Allison, coming back now to the the Anglicans church in Africa, which is which is going to be the majority of the 85 percent that will be represented by uh, GAFCON and Global South, um, assuming they continue to, to, to work together and grow together. Uh, you, you've touched on uh, theological education as one issue. Um, what are some of the other issues that you think this new reset communion needs to address to help churches, Anglican churches in Africa on the continent, fulfill Christ's great commission and proclaim uh, proclaim Christ to all nations? So one of the things that's been interesting for me as an American uh, who has lived in Uganda now for 19 years is to, to try to understand the way Ugandans uh, think about the uh, think about England, think about the Church of England. Uh, it's right. you know it's a mixed it's a mixed experience because of course England wa- was the colony, um, right? It, you know, colonized um, Uganda, and there are some positive outcomes from that, but there are a lot of hard feelings as well from that Mm -hmm. time period. I think uh, the vast majority of the members of the Church of Uganda think about the missionaries who who sacrificed and brought the gospel to Uganda. They are very grateful to them, and it it pains them to see that the Mm. church that raised up such faithful believers who who left their families, left their homes, came on ships and walked from, you know, the, the Indian Ocean coast in Kenya and walked to Uganda to be missionaries. They're very, very grateful for that. Um, so um, as an American, um, you know, we got our independence a long time ago. And the yeah. colonial period is, uh, you know, a nice place to go visit in Williamsburg. But um, we don't really have living memories of that. Um, we don't right. tell the stories of the oppression. But it's still much fresher and current in Uganda. So it's interesting because... There's there's a, a part of the Church of Uganda that so values that relationship with the Church of England that the idea of breaking with Canterbury is is just you they can't imagine it until right. recently. Yeah. Um, and the the decision of the General Synod, led and supported by the Archbishop of Canterbury is is just too far for them. And yeah. so I think they're they're willing, really willing to think about it and to say, um, we 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 can't support that. Now the difference, yeah. the difference between when the Episcopal Church apostatized and the Church of England apostatized is that the Church of England is led by this 
position, this person called the Archbishop of Canterbury, who wears two hats. He's the primate of all England, but he's also this um, figure that somehow represents the global church. So once you say, so that, that did not exist with breaking fellowship with the Episcopal Church, with the Anglican Church of Canada, with the Scottish Episcopal right. Church, the Church in Wales. You know, that did not exist. So this is really very different because this is the mother church. So if you say yeah. we are not in communion with the Church of England, who is led by the Archbishop of Canterbury, then does that by extension mean you you don't support any of those structures of the Anglican communion, which I think we all have agreed, yes, that's true. Now, once you remove him from that position, the, the global Anglican church is left with a huge vacuum at the center of it. So what do yeah. you put in its place? And yes. I think that uh, the Church of Uganda is it, it, it has welcomed the Cairo Covenant as the, the the thing that you put in place of what you know the vacuum that's been created. I would say the Church of Uganda yes. is 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 very very welcoming to that and values that. So it, it provides that structure and redefines uh, global Anglicanism around a set of, of a common confession of faith based on our historic formularies, as opposed to just a person or an office. Right. And um, so at the same time, GAFCON, it's very clear that GAFCON is a mission movement. And yeah, the two work together. Um, there's, I mean, I, our people have, have loved the worship, loved the teaching, um, loved meeting people from around the world and seeing the breadth and depth and diversity of what Anglicanism is. And yet everyone is gathered around Christ and the authority of scripture. And they love that. Yeah. They have loved it, and they made enormous sacrifice to find the money to come. And everyone I ask, are you happy that you came? And they are so happy that they came because there's Uh a mission movement that is reclaiming the heart of the gospel as the uh, imperative for mission, growth, expansion of the church and the gospel in revisionist provinces as well as among unreached people. And the the Cairo Covenant provides the ecclesial structure and ecclesial home that gathers all of these people together. So um, that's what I would say. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, thinking about some of the things that we've heard this week uh, and, you know, the overlap um, between the things that, that GAFCON aspires to do in terms of uh, training and uh, talking about next generation leaders and families and 
what Global South is talking about in terms of mission partnerships and bishops training and economic sustainability, it seems like there ought to be uh, very practical ways that the two groups could collaborate, you know, in, in that what we call the section two of the Cairo Covenant, where we talk about relational commitments, because it is about relationships. And of course, we've learned that from our African brothers and sisters. It's all about relationships. Yes. So um, I, I, I hope, and I know you do too, that that GAFCON and Global South can really get even more specific in the days to come about some of those relational commitments. Well, um, and I would love to see a synergy come from it. You know, yeah. that the that the sum is greater than the parts. If we can really um, grow our our heart relationships uh, between the two. And we find ourselves uh, really working together in unity. Yeah. What just just in closing, you know, as you think about Anglicans in Africa, if you could list just the the top three priorities that need to be addressed in your own mind, um, among among uh, Anglican churches and leaders in uh in africa on the continent what what would those three top three challenges that gafcon and global south together need to address well definitely for the church of uganda at least um evangelism is always a high priority um we have many 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 evangelists in the church of uganda and it is um a deep value of the Church of Uganda. So I think we would always say evangelism is a priority. Discipleship. So once people have made a commitment to Christ, um, taking them deeper into the word of God and letting the word of God shape them, their character, their family relationships and their work ethic. And, um, and then, so I'm, I'm going to make church planting an extension of both of those. And then I yes, would, so I can, because I can't have four. Um, so <laughs> right. my third one is going to be the sustainability of the church. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, developing the resources to really be able to do all this and to develop them locally. And mm-hmm. that, that's, that's a big priority. Amen. Amen. Allison, before we go, do you have any um, any closing words of uh, of encouragement for our listeners as they're sitting and listening and thinking about what's happening in the Anglican Communion today? Well, first, let me just thank you and the entire American Anglican Council team, uh, the staff, the board, the supporters. Uh, all of these years, you have been a beacon uh, of hope and light, not just, I think, in the United States or North America, but even around the world. So we thank you for coming in January and spending an entire day with our House of Bishops. I think it, there will be lots of fruit that that we will see in the future from that. So thank you for building those relationships. Thank you for flying 24 hours to come to 
come to the ends of the earth here. Um, and um, and I just want uh, to, to encourage those who have not been able to come to GAFCON that the, the church is alive and well, and there's strength in the commitment to the gospel. And it's not easy in the North American secular context that many churches find themselves in. But um, we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation, and to cling to that. And there are many people here who cling to that and have paid a price for it, as have many Americans. But it's still a gospel worth paying a price for. So thank you for your faithfulness, and keep on being faithful. Thank you, dear Allison. And, uh, and thank you for your faithfulness and your witness and your sacrifices too. It's so good to spend time with you. Great to be with you too, Phil. Thanks. God bless you all. And we'll look forward to our next episode of Anglican Perspective. You've been listening to your Anglican Perspective with Canon Phil and Canon Mark of the American Anglican Council. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it so that biblically faithful and orthodox Anglicans can stay connected to the latest news, updates, and inspirations from around the world.